Welcome to People's Church Podcast. This whole Christian faith thing that you and I are a part of and get to celebrate all of the time is totally supernaturally based. It starts with God, it ends with God. God who is a spirit came to be amongst us, took on flesh for the very reason so that he might be able to through that to take all the sins of the world upon his own self, experience death and separation from his own holy nature, and then in that state to rise again, dominating over hell and death, coming, as Revelation tells us, rising with the keys to hell and to Hades, to Hades and to death. We're going to talk a little bit about that supernatural side of Christianity. When we had uh, Phil a couple of, uh, Pastor Phil a couple of weeks ago, and uh, so, and I had, I had somebody that week I was talking with and they asked me this question. Like he shared some pretty cool stories. Yeah, yeah. And somebody asked me this question, do you, do you believe that those are all true like that? I said, yes, yeah, I do. And they said, have you ever actually seen a miracle of God? And I said, yes, yes, I have. Have you ever prayed for somebody and they got well and it was obvious it was prayer? I said, yes, yes, of course, of course. It amazed me often how the struggle can be for us who believe in God and his care and attention to us can be such a struggle for us to accept that he is at the very base of everything as as believers in Christ that we live out. That he is involved in our lives, in the intricacies of it. And he even inserts himself into it that you would say in miraculous ways. Times in which he has come and he has made it so clear to you that he is watching over you I still remember a a time in my life when I stood, uh, not stood, trapped behind the wheel of a car, running away from God. A young man running away from what God's intentions were and what he had asked me to be a part of in my life, setting my own agenda, my own time. And I still remember that I was doing an obvious thing because he had made it obvious to me that this was not the path that he wanted for me. You know, sometimes I think we just are such doubters because we don't connect to the very source of what our faith is, which is God, alive, supernatural experience. Dallas Willard said, we live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. Then he said, you can almost be as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. The idea is that if you just keep asking questions or you don't choose to lock on to any truth at all, somehow you are intellectually fine-tuned a little bit differently or better, which is absolutely ridiculous. What is the purpose of questions? The purpose of questions is answers. You look for answers, and you expect 
answers. You don't ask questions to stay in a questioning state. If your state is a questioning state and you have to always be questioning, can you imagine in a relationship, you're constantly questioning. You're questioning its love. You're questioning its commitment. You're questioning its peace or joy. You're constantly in questioning. No matter what the day brings, no matter what the other person says, no matter how you good of an experience it may be, you constantly stay in a questioning mode. What is it that you're robbing that relationship of? You are robbing that relationship of the beauty, of the intimacy, of its what it can produce uh, in the peace and the joy and the love that can explode and continue to explode. All because you want to stay in the questioning. Will they ever? Staying in a questioning mode is maybe one of the dumbest things that you can do. Finding answers, then living out those answers and enjoying the life that those answers bring is a much wiser and smarter way to do it. In Hebrews eleven six, we've been talking about the covenant relationship of God. That's what the first coming of Jesus Christ into Bethlehem is all about. A covenant that God made with you that he was going to save your soul. You could not save your own. That you could not bridge the gap between heaven and yourself. That you were condemned outside of that. And so in your fallen nature, as valuable as you are to God, you had no capacity to be near God. He had to come near to you. Faith then becomes the amazing, can we say, uh, energy that produces this nearness and this receiving of the gift and the work of God. Faith is central to the Christian faith, largely because it's not a work, it's not a works-based religion. It is a receiving of the gift. Every other religion is works-based. You do, you get, you do, you get, you do, you get. When it comes to Christ, he does all the work and you get all of the benefits of this. And that's why it is required for you to have faith because you can't choose works. It doesn't work. Here we find in Hebrews eleven six a great statement about faith, kind of one, a grand overall statement. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. So more or less, your works, what you do to try to please God, if you're doing those things to try to please God, somehow satiate God, somehow have that special in with God, if you're a person that views your relationship with God and, and the balance, you know, on one side, you know, I do some bad things, I try to do some good things to even it out. You are actually destroying the very foundation of what it takes to please him. It takes faith, trust, believing. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is the ability to draw near to God. It allows him to draw near to you. And so we want to emphasize that today and we're going to take a look at the supernatural base of the Christmas message through a man we often don't talk about. Somehow um, it just seems like he's there, he's a presence, but he's not seemed to be a, ma a major or a big player. And yet he was and he played an amazing role in this beautiful story of God coming to us. Joseph, the one 
who had to come to terms with the plan that God had for his wife to be, Mary, for their family. Let's start into the story. I'm going to read it from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they became together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In those days, an engagement was way different than we view it today. It was the first phase of the marriage vow. So it, you actually needed to be divorced from your first phase before you stood at the altar and uttered your vows to one another. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. In a dream. You know, when Mary had her angelic visit, there was interaction. It was a, it was a literally interactive. She's wide awake. It's, she's not sleeping. There's, there's no dream involved. It, it's happening. They, the angel appears. He gives her the message. She's been chosen for this. She has questions. She, she, re, she responds. Angel gives her answers. And then she commits. Be it to me as the Lord wants. In this, it's a dream. Joseph is, can you imagine this day when he finds out that the one that he is betrothed to is now pregnant? And he is told this by her that it was a plan of God that she is going to give birth to the Messiah, that this is the seed of God in her womb. Okay. That's easy to believe. Imagine that. Betrothed. But a story like that. He didn't believe her. He, he didn't. He doubted her. He doubted her story. And so he's quietly putting the pieces together and say, what can I do here to bring this to some kind of good resolution? How am I going to make this work in this village and, and so that she doesn't end up in being judged, maybe even stoned? Like, how do, how do I protect her in this? And what is the right thing? What am I going to do? And he's turning this all over in his head, like you do, with what seems impossible situations, painful situations. He goes to sleep and he has a dream. And in the dream, it's not interactive. It's just flat out statement. The angel does all of the speaking. Joseph does all of the listening. It's not the same. It says here that as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So it's not just Mary's word anymore. Now God is speaking directly to a godly man. Somebody who has faith already in God. And the angel brings a message that touches this man's faith. 
And it goes beyond just the testimony of his young betrothed wife-to-be. And he responds to it when he wakes up. But let's read it. He, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he didn't say, oh, man, what a dream. I'm going to need three more of those, God. I got a bunch of questions here still. Like, this is a little too tense for me, God. I, you know, he didn't look to find his way out of that. He was already a man of faith. He was a good-hearted man. He was going to do the best thing to protect Mary in whatever way he possibly could. And he was trying to figure that all out. And then he's awakened again to the base of his faith, which is God. How many messages has God sent you? Maybe in dreams. Maybe through others. Maybe whispers in your heart. Maybe something that leaped off of the scriptures as you're reading it and it just kind of whack went right to your heart. How many times has God spoken to you? And you say, well, give me another round. Let's fill in the blank. Doubt your doubts, believe your, your beliefs. As a Christian, if you truly believe that God has come to you, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus Christ is God who has come amongst us, that he has come to save our souls, that he has put the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer in his son, then why should it be so strange for us to have him interacting with us on a daily basis around things that our heads are tumbling around? He is active in your life. He is speaking to you on a regular basis. But what you can do is continually be in a questioning state. Which ends up trapping us. See, doubt is the mind battling to make sense of it all. That's where he was doubting Mary's word and he was trying to make sense of it all. But unbelief is different than doubt. It's a matter of your will. You've chosen not to believe. Doubt has gone to a different scale. Doubt, the questions have now become a will position. I will live in the questions. I will not live in the answer. Joseph wakes up, he lives in the answer. And he begins to put together the obedience to God. He marries her. He does it all as he has been directed to do. When Jesus is born, he names him what he was told to name him. He is now sees that God has chosen him for this purpose. He's walking in it. His mind at first is battling like crazy to make sense of it. But he moves beyond that kind of crazy state into belief because of the dream. Because God spoke to him. And you say, well, if I had a dream, you've had dreams. 
You've had his voice speaking. You've had circumstances that have been plain as the nose on your face. That God is interacting with you. You got things all around you. Well, why have I not seen it as God? And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Unbelief is when we refuse to believe God and believe his word and obey that. When you feel God speaking to you and you have doubts about whether, you know, you should forgive here or whether you should give here or whether you should obey here or serve here or, or go and make this connection over here or to say these words and your response is, I'm not sure if that's really you, Lord. You continue to live in questions. God wants you to live in belief. He wants you to act out of that belief because that is that faith that I'm trusting that you are leading me, God. So you doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. We tend to doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts. Why would we believe doubts? That's now unbelief which is a position of basically freezing God out of your equation. You can't draw near to him. Because it's your faith that will cause you to draw near to God. And now you have stepped into a matter of your will. So this man, this, this amazing man actually, it says that when he woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, meaning no sex, uh, not until she had given birth to a son that had been placed in her womb, and he named him Jesus, Savior. Interesting doubt. How doubt works in our life. There are doubts that can produce some honest questions in your life. But honest questions need to lead to honest answers. Questions themselves are not a sign of intelligence. Questions that can recognize answers, that can begin to employ those answers, can look to things differently because of those answers is where intelligence will be gained. And spiritual intelligence tells us that we begin to believe those nudges, those intersections in our life where God has made himself plain. And he does it differently with Mary, interactive, back and forth. With Joseph, a dream of statement. He gets, wakes up, gets after it, goes ahead, believes. There's another guy I want to bring into this equation about doubting your doubts and believing your beliefs rather than believe your doubts and doubt your, your beliefs. About Thomas. He's even called Doubting Thomas. He was a, an apostle, a disciple, then an apostle. A powerful apostle. He actually, uh, we know he ended up in, in India. In fact, I know a man here in town, a friend of mine, he's Indian. And he uh, lived in that city where... They, they believe they have Thomas's tomb up on a mountain. It's amazing that faith is, goes all the way back 
in a country like India. Thomas. But that's not where he, that's where he ends up, obedience and moving forward. But he had this amazing ability to doubt to a high degree. This is a guy that walked with Jesus. He saw the loaves and the fishes, the multiplication. He saw all kinds of healings, different, different things from sickness, from things of, of even maiming or crippled. He saw the dead raised to life by Jesus. He saw all this. He experienced it firsthand. But when the crucifixion happened, and then the resurrection happened, he wasn't there after that when Jesus appeared to them on that first day of resurrection, and they're locked in a room. Thomas was the one that was absent, and Jesus appeared amongst them. But they told him that Jesus had appeared amongst them and what he had said. And Thomas made the statement, he said, I'm not going to believe. Not until I can put my fingers in the wounds in his hand and my, heart, my hand into the wounds in his side. I'm not going to believe. Boy, that's a strong statement of doubt. Yet, this is a guy that saw all kinds of amazing things. But in that moment of feeling hopeless, thinking it was all over with Jesus' death, thinking that everything up to that point somehow had been some kind of mirage, he found it very difficult to transition and believe the report of others, to believe their report. And yet Jesus had spoken about his resurrection plainly to them. What was going on with this man in doubt? Well, let's read the story. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, he looks directly at Thomas. He deals with Thomas absolutely directly. Put your finger here and see my hands uh, and put your hand and place it on my side. Do you, do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas's response, his answer was, my Lord and my God. Surrender, total surrender, full-on believing. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Then he makes this statement, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know by believing today, just as a believer and a Christian, you have a faith that is more stronger than Thomas's at that moment? You didn't get to put your finger in there. You didn't get to put your, your hand in his side. But you believe and you know you believe. Because of faith. And Jesus identified you in this statement and said uh, very, something very complimentary. He said, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Doubt. 
It's amazing how far it can go even in the life of a disciple, an apostle, somebody of high standing when it comes to the spiritual DNA of their life and to see them that they're going to be a major world changer. God is going to use them powerfully. And yet, couldn't believe this, this report till he saw it. Don't take that route with God because what will happen is that doubts will control the living out of your faith and you'll always be surprised if anything supernatural happens. You'll always be dis, have a discomfort with prayer for things because of the doubt that's in behind that says, well, you know, look, you're always gonna struggle then to practice a faith that's based on the supernatural, that God has come. So what situation are you in right now that right now to talk about it in any supernatural language would feel very uncomfortable? To say, I, I think we need to pray about this or to say, I think we really need to get serious with God and we need to start asking God for a miracle and a change here. That should be the normalcy from a core of faith because you have an excellent quality of faith already because you've not seen but you believe. But that's meant to be something now that's lived out in a very pragmatic function within your life. So no matter what you are facing, if you're gonna face it with faith, then you are welcoming God and his supernatural interventions into your life. Now here's where most of us are at. This story, next story. It's found in the book of Mark. And Jesus is having an interaction, an interaction with um, a man who's got a son who has a horrible problem. Uh, an enemy has taken over this son. He, he causes him to have fits and he throws him into fires and just into dangerous situations. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, and I'm not sure why that became an exclamation mark. It's not. It's a question mark. If you can, Jesus says, he comes back to if you can? All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. What a response. To move into faith, you must be honest about your unbelief. You must say to God, I'm having a hard time here believing, you know, that you're going to intervene or that you're with us in this. I, I'm having a little bit of a hard time here. But in essence, if we stay in unbelief, we're in a place that is extremely severely inhibited from the work of God. In fact, it will lead you into a sinful place. Let me explain. Atheism denies God's existence. Just denies God exists. 
We go back to the scripture we read, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for, he, for whoever would draw near to him must believe, God must believe that he exists. Atheism just denies that he exists. There's very few genuine atheists. There's what you might call seasonal atheists. But atheism is, God doesn't exist. Unbelief as a Christian, when you're a Christian and you know he does exist, unbelief denies his goodness. If you can, have you ever doubted God's goodness? His ability to forgive you for each and every sin in your life? Or do you let yourself become tormented by things? Because Christmas message is you're free. He has come. He has paid the price for your sin through the cross. He has risen again to offer you eternal life. And so when you do not believe, you begin to deny his goodness. And since goodness is essential to who God is, those doubts do in reality stab at his very being, who he is, that he even exists. You're creating something that doesn't belong in a formula of faith that you wish to continue to grow in. If you want to grow in faith, you must believe that God is good. You don't start off with the torment side. You don't start off with the judgment. You start off with God is good. Why did Jesus come? Because God is good. Goodness. Unbelief will deny his goodness and actually stab at the very being of who he really is. It's like you're almost calling God a liar when you have unbelief that he's not good. It, it, it casts suspicion upon, upon his holiness and upon who he is. It's not a small offense that to charge the creator of heaven and earth with lying. And yet if I mistrust his promise to this covenant, to the extent that he gave his life, shed his blood, let his body be broken, so that I might have my sin forgiven and completely washed out, and then later on, I struggle with belief in his ability to forgive me, to release me, to free me, to grow me, to change me. God is not false to his covenant. The covenant of the cross and the covenant of an empty tomb. It is sure deal. And that's where faith needs to be expressed and put in the believer's heart. And when you find yourself in a doubting place like Thomas or this man who needed help for his son, understand your head may try and grapple with all the things you're working with but if you maintain a questioning state and stay in unbelief, you are actually questioning who he is. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a, a Welsh minister, wrote, wrote some classic books, amazing, great theologian. He said, if your faith bothers you, it's not in your heart. 
but in your head. If your doubt displeases you, it is because the Lord indwells you. More or less, doubt your doubts. Don't be pleased with your doubts. But why you are not happy with having doubts is because the Lord indwells you. So begin the process of moving into faith and interacting with a God that's interacting with you. Begin to expose your life to the possibilities of a supernatural God at work in your life, through your life. The possibilities become innumerable. Secondly, live in an obedience to leave. Second dream, quickly. Matthew 2, 13 through 15. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise up. It means the wise men are gone. They've left. And after they had left, he gets another dream. He appears to Joseph in the room and says, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And so Joseph, what did he do? He wakes up, he arose, up he rose, and he rose, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. So God gives him another dream. And the dream says, Herod's going to try and kill him. You need to leave here, go to Egypt. Right in the night, he wakes up, he gets them put together, they leave. Living in obedience to leave. It's really hard for us to leave familiar places and familiarities at time. And yet, if you're going to follow the best that God has for you in your life, for whatever God can bring into your life, into your relationships and every aspect of your life, if you really want the best of what God's got, you've got to be obedient to leave when he says leave. And if he says leave this behind, move on from here, Pick up your camp and get out of this location. Change your address. When you have God that is speaking that strongly to you and he's saying, I need you to get moving right now because there's a death that in, in, in things that are coming here. You're going to be up against things you don't need to be up against. And I want to protect you from that. So leave. There are things in this walk with God that he's going to ask you to leave behind. Not all of them easy, some of them very, very hard. God might ask you to leave behind the security of your money. He asked that of a rich young ruler guy. Guy couldn't do it. He might ask you to leave behind your control of the world. Give up your power position. He asked that of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus did. He might ask you to change some very major fundamentals in your life. Leave. Leave them behind. And that's what Joseph did. He had the dream. My gosh, this guy, we don't talk much about him, but yeah, he has four of these. 
And the second dream, his immediate obedience. Why is he chosen to be the dad on earth that's going to joke after and protect Jesus and teach him a trade and raise up with him and do the adventures of life with him and teach him some of the practical skills? Why, why, why? Why, Jesus? And why did Joseph get chosen for that? Because this guy was obedient. Sometimes we fight God when he tells us to leave some stuff behind. Leave this fear behind. Leave this discouragement behind. Leave this, what, what happened to you when you're young behind. Let's get moving. Leave this stuff. There's lots of stuff to leave in life. Some of it good. And that's the hard stuff to leave. Thirdly, trust God's directions for the returns of life. Not only do we have to leave, but there are times to return. Some leavings are temporary. Sometimes it's just to unsettle us, but in this case, it was protection. And so now comes the time for the return, and he has another dream. In Matthew 2, 19 through 21, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. There we go saying, rise, <laughs> another one, rise, wake up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. He said, time to return. Now is the time to return. Man, we can even fight returns. We get scared of returns because we left maybe for reasons that we just had to leave, but then God says, I want you to go back there. I want you now to return now. But we were safe in Egypt. We were safe here in that regard. This was a safety that, can't we just stay here? No, I need you to return. You say, but I don't, you know. We can have so many hiccups in our believing and just simple trust. But God has asked for returns. I don't know if I should return because, you know, like it's just going to happen again or there's going to be somebody that's going to threaten us. And this is a low threat place I'm in right now. Why would I go to a higher threat place? And, and, and why would I expose myself to hurt again when I've been hurt? And why would I put myself into a place where it would be, you know, things could happen. I'm going to have to then forgive again. And I mean, why? Why would I return? None of that with Joseph. Well, I got the business going here in Egypt here. Like, I'm, I, we're, we've got a good clientele. It's going good. Why do I return? Because his whole life, he looked at it now as being totally directed by the Lord. And if the Lord said, return, then I get up, I pack my family, and I return. Fourth, Matthew 2, 22, 23 says, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a, getting used to this, dream. How important are dreams to you? How important are God's connections, those little connections? How important are those little knocks on the door? How much do they grab your attention sincerely? Or do you look at it and say, oh, I don't necessarily want to answer that door knock. I mean, that could require 
leaving. It could require returning. It could require believing. In a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So, he gets another dream. Say, yep, you're back. And yep, you're not going to stay in Judea. We're going to go north to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. That he would be called a Nazarene. You see, the prophets have predicted each one of these things. So he moves to Nazareth on the north. Out of the main, oh, we could say, artery of Israel's life. And in that little village, he raises Jesus. Why did he get the privilege? Because it was real simple. For him, it was simple. I obey. He directs. If he says, forgive, I, I'm going to forgive. If he says, give, I'm going to give. If he says, serve, I'm going to serve. If he says, let it go, I'm going to let it go. If he says, take it up, I'm going to take it up. If he says, your last blank is this. Trust his safe places, not your own. He will keep you safe. Truly safe. He's the only one that can. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He is the one that can keep you safe. It is the only one that can. Often we, uh, you know, have to leave safe places uh, or unsafe places and we create a little safety and we feel in control of our safety. Don't fall for that. The only one that will keep you safe is him and his leadership that's distinct and strong in your life because you are a person of faith, because you trust him in your life and you trust his leadership and whatever he says you will do and you will doubt your doubts and you will believe your beliefs and yes, ask your questions, get your information, whatever, learn, flow, move forward, turn information into action, turn answers into action, live answers, live answers, live the answers. He's got for you. He will direct you. Bible tells us in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. God is with you. If there's a message of Christmas from Joseph, it's basically the privilege of obedience. The privilege that he saw in his life be nurturing Christ. Do you know that you have the same privilege as a Christian? To nurture Jesus in your life and even in the lives of the people you touch. It will require faith. Do you believe? Do you believe? Would you stand with me please? It's really easy for us to have doubts and I'm not fighting you having some doubts. 
I'm fighting you living in them. Just like that man who Jesus confronted, if I can. Oh, and then quickly he responds and says, I believe, I believe, but help my unbelief. Somehow that was okay with Jesus. That was enough. A statement of belief first. More or less he's saying, I do believe. But I have this unbelief that seems to haunt me and follow me on my trail. We'll do what that man said. State your belief first. And let your doubts serve the growing of your faith. Give them to Jesus. That's what that man did. Give them to Jesus. I just, I struggle with doubt, Lord. I just give it to you. And let him increase your faith. Strengthen your faith. Respond to the nudges. And when you have that belief, you know, just haunting your back trail, you just give it to Christ. Give it to Christ and believe. I believe. I believe. And do you know what happened in that story? That boy's son was cleansed from that evil spirit and he was healed. May this Christmas be something where something's birthed stronger in you. All over the Christmas stories is supernatural work of God going on. That wasn't meant to be a story with a beginning and an end. It was meant to become yours. Father, I, I pray for us as we celebrate Christmas that we get to an understanding of the amazing opportunity it brings through faith. This is not a little children's story. This is the story of God miraculously working in the planet, coming to the planet, and around it is this natural beauty of the Spirit doing great things. In Joseph's life, giving him a great purpose. Father, I pray that in our lives where unbelief has held us back and even just doubts are so permeating our soul that we get frozen in the questions and we never get to live the answers. That you'll bring a new awareness and a new decision on our part of obedience and our will engaged to choose belief. Belief. Don't disbelieve. Believe. Thomas, stop disbelieving and believe and believe. This man, if I can, of course I can. Thank you for Joseph. Sort of a man that disappears from the stage. But what a man. What a man of faith. I pray that, Lord, you will challenge us so that we will take in our life where, Father, you might have been knocking on the door a long time as a believer and wanting different obediences and changes. There might be some leavings. There might be some re returnings. It can be all of that. But we kind of just kept it in the questioning state. We didn't really want the answers because the answers might mean the kind of change that we lose control and 
God, I pray that today would be some honest moments the Holy Spirit would do within every heart that's believing in Jesus. That we would believe in Jesus to such a degree that Jesus believing in us is being carried out in our life. That he believes and draws near in us and he says, I can use you. I can bless you. I can walk with you. We can do great things. Father, I pray you'd restore faith. I pray that you'd increase faith and that, Lord, that we would start to attack our lives with the faith, the believing, our beliefs. Thank you that you are almighty God and that you've chosen to be with us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.